Welcome to the Bread and Cup podcast hosted by Corey and Shauna Burris. They are a former pastor, a college teacher, and Pacific Northwest coffee lovers. Mostly, they are Jesus followers who find themselves in lots of interesting conversations with non-Christians, former Christians, wondering Christians, and young adults from all kinds of backgrounds. And we want to invite you into those conversations. The Bread and Cup podcast is a place for real talk about the Bible, life, and what it takes to move beyond the easy answers. So let's grab a cup and join the conversation. Welcome to the Bread and Cup podcast. I am Corey. And I'm Shauna. Today in our cup is um, a favorite. You will hear this one come up a lot. It's organic El Salvadorian single origin. It is, in my opinion, the perfect cup of coffee. Even though mine's cold. Oh, that's unfortunate. It's okay. It's still good. Yeah, it is. It is that good. It's good cold. Um, Shout out to all of you who prefer your coffee colds. Um, That's not my reality. And then uh, today we are having braided bread, which is a Sabbath favorite around here. And incidentally, um, we are recording this on a Sunday. And so not surprising that braided bread is on the menu. What are we going to talk about today, Corey? So um, we're going to wrap up a bit of our conversation that we started last week, which was on brokenness. Um, And so in that conversation, if you haven't listened to it, I'll give you a quick recap, is this idea that um, for a long time, I think oftentimes people come to the church out of brokenness Mm -hmm. um, and retain, and, and in some ways it is promoted the idea that you are a broken person within mm. the church. Yeah. And so uh, what we talked about last week was more the idea that it's less about um, being broken and more about proximity. Yeah, exactly. And so proximity is um, a word that I've adopted, meaning Shauna as a personal person. I don't think I learned it from a theologian or someone else. It's it's a word I picked to try to describe that because um, in sometimes in the church tradition, and I mean, we're evangelical, so I'm not going to speak to other denominations, but they point to, you know, Bible verses about, um, you know, casting aside your flesh or, you know, bringing the flesh into submission or the difference between, you know, the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? And those verses are then used to back up the idea that we as humanity are, as individual humans are just wrecked. We're, we're ruined. And so I use the word proximity because it isn't that we as humans are ruined. God made us in our image and in, no, God made us in his image and we retain that that image bearing, that that worth, the intrinsic worth that God created us with, we actually maintain that even in once the fall happened, the the structure of the world began to break down, right? And when we behave in a self-centered way as humans, we're behaving less like what we were intended to be. And so it isn't about we lack value. It's about sin created a, a distance between what the source of what we're supposed to be, right? If, if right. we're, if image bearing is what makes us intrinsically human, which is biblically the model, then we didn't cease to be human in sin, but we cease to have the right connection to the thing right. that gave us originally value. So what we want to talk about taking that concept forward is 
the church in general has, um, and I, I use the church as a more of a generic, like, you know, Western church, but also, I mean, I think across all denominations, yeah. we talk a lot about um, um, brokenness, and there's a lot of words that have meaning in the Bible that we misunderstand what what they're, we misuse them. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it was, uh, we've, we've talked about this before, but I don't think that this is a um, manipulation piece, but no. it can turn into a manipulation piece sure. in the way that we talk about things. So um, the the first thing I wanted to walk through is exploring these terms that we use in the church and what they what they mean and how they how they should be applied to our lives versus how they oftentimes are applied in the way that we perceive them. So and, and it comes actually out of a conversation I had with um, a really good friend of mine who was really wrestling with his faith. Yeah. Um, and um, we were chatting about something else, and I mentioned that some family members of mine had really, their life had just totally changed, and that it was exciting to see that they were saved. Mm. And he immediately responded, and this was via text chat, and he immediately responded, well, whatever that means, saved. Yeah. And, I, and I would kind of question him, like, what do you mean, what does that mean, saved. Yeah. Because we use it so often within the church that I didn't think about the fact that we all come to that term from a different perspective. Yeah. Right? If you view brokenness as really you are a a crap human being that needs a savior, which to give you value. To give you, you value. You need a savior to give you value. Then yep. the term saved is like you being fixed from your from your brokenness yeah. right and it means accepting that you believe you're you are worthless as you stand that, right that you have no value that only in this connection do you have any worth of your own right yeah and it's so sad to think that that's the way that people view salvation or mm. being saved and yeah. so I mean, we ended up getting into a long discussion back and forth, and 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 I tried to explain kind of my point of view. But I think that there is some truth that those terms, and there are other terms within the Bible that I would just want to walk through and say, well, what what does that mean? What sh yeah. how should we, as people looking at the Bible or looking at life or looking at people? that are our friends and people that we want to have a relationship, how should we view these terms in light yep. of that? So, And if you, I hope that there are people out there that listen that don't actually agree with our worldview. It is no fun to talk in a bubble. And so if you're listening to this conversation to hear um, a Christian perspective and you are not a Christian, um, please hear that, that we want we want to have this discussion in light of like when Christians use these terms, this is how we hope this comes across. This is what we're trying to say opposed right. to, and when, you know, when we say the biblical version of this, like, man, lots of real churchy words get thrown around. And so if you're, you know, if you're hearing this and this is not your perspective, that's really great. And we, we're just trying to clear up some of the misconceptions of the way that this gets thrown around. Right. And I think that yeah. if you are a Christian, hopefully it will help you to think outside of your bubble. Yeah. Of, we use these terms kind of interchangeably across yeah. the board, saved yeah. being one of them. And it actually has a different meaning depending on the context in which it was spoken. Yeah. So, 
Um, and the first one is saved, right? Like this, yep. I looked look at saved as the concept of deliverance. Mm. You are being delivered from uh, from something, yeah, uh, or to do something, right? Okay. But not from damnation, which is kind of the way that we we sure. look at it is like you're heading to hell. Well, you're basically already on fire, right? Yeah, yeah. you you are hell bound. Yeah. And on your way there or living in sin and yep. and and salvation when you get saved you are pulled out of that damnation yep. all of a sudden and now you're 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 different. And life is then a holding pattern for heaven. Right. Exactly. Yep. Which has its own issues which we will probably discuss on a future oh, issue or episode. But um but I view it as deliverance to something, right? Yep. And this is this idea, and I, I know that might sound like semantics, but it really isn't. It's this idea that that when you are saved, God is saying, all right, you have been moving towards this thing over here. Yep. I'm going to redirect you in towards something that is better, yep. that has more purpose, and that has meaning behind it. Yep. And that is this relationship with me. Yeah, which which leads to the, f- the fullest expression of who you are. Right. Because you already have value. Right. You're, you already are in the biblical term image bearing, right? God, when God created man and woman in Genesis, he makes the distinction between all the other creation and creation of humanity. And so our perspective is that humans hold a, a certain degree of value that's different. And that that's just true of humans whether or not you would choose that saved label, right? Right. That there is already value. It's not about being delivered from lack of value and then assigned, you're out of torture and out of worthlessness and now you are suddenly assigned value. It's you are so valuable and yet you're not headed towards life abundantly, which is another Christian thing to say. And that that this relationship, closing that proximity distance, closing that gap in, in life now and forward motion, right. eternity, if you, you know, to use that, but it, it isn't about, we plucked you out of something and then you're holding and eventually you'll get a reward. It's right now you as a human then you get invited to do something that's life-giving in this moment. You are participating. You begin participating in what life was meant to be. Right. So you're not participating and then you're participating, not yeah. you're burning and then you're waiting. Yeah. And what, and I think that that even gives greater perspective and more um, respect towards the other word I want to talk about, which is savior. Yeah. Right. Because the role of a savior, if all they're doing is, you're stuck in a prison, not doing anything. And this person comes in, you were worthless beforehand. And now they give you purpose that the damsel in distress, right? Oh, the feminist in me rises up. Right. But, but if you look that at chick it was differently, smart before the prince came, darn it. But if you look at it differently and you go, Oh, okay. Well, the savior actually is the person that guides you long term. Yeah. Like he doesn't just come in pull you out and say, 
good, now you have purpose, right? Wait right. till the end. Now you have this person that comes in and comes alongside you and walks yeah. with you and moves you towards closer and, and making you a more better, a better version of yourself than yeah. you were before. Gives much greater meaning, I think, to that concept yeah. of savior than, than the way that we typically view a savior. It's, it's, it's less damsel in distress prince gets his gets her from the castle and more the blind side right yeah. like that that young man was already incredibly athletically gifted okay we need to stop and go back the blind side is a movie about a, oh, a guy i think they know that well right? well it's about a football player right and he, yeah. he's in the ghetto and yep. he is super talented yep has nothing Gets yeah. an opportunity to go to a nice school. Gets essentially adopted by a family that yep. helps give him the structure and, yep. and, and safety he needs yep. to become what he became, which was a professional football player. Right. So. And so that was, I mean, I guess I was, that's the picture I form when I think of, and of course it's, it's a very limited example, but the idea is that it, he wasn't without anything and then he gets adopted into this school and into this family. And then he had talent. He had that. And they came alongside him. They, they, they made him part of their family. They didn't just give him coaching or give him money or hand him a nice uniform. They, they're like, nope, you're ours now. And we will all walk this out together for the best expression of who you are by yourself. You don't have to be like us. You get to be you and we're going to help you do that. And that, that's a different kind of expression of of savior right and i'm seeing that maybe that analogy you know that could break down pretty quickly i'm not saying it's theological formation i'm just trying to get our heads around it yeah yeah totally yeah um the other word or um often uses redemption um and that is the idea of bringing back that which is lost but in this case we're not talking about just bringing you back who are lost and stuck in a prison, if you will, right? Yeah. But bringing back and and making whole a relationship that should have yeah. been there in the first place. Yep. And I would say, actually, I would take that one one further and say it's a restoration of the role. Mm. Because in, in Genesis, they, that the whole image-bearing language is it's the expression of how man, like man and woman then man named the animals, they then tended the garden. And so that language means that image bearing was humans were meant to have this sort of role and purpose. There's a little bit of a ruling kind of language there. Like they were meant, God could have just managed the earth, but he, he's giving humans that piece of his role. Like you guys need to manage this. This is your job. And we can see, I mean, climate change and disasters and all sorts of ugly stuff. Our earth is not doing well. We as humans are not doing a good job in our role of caring and tending for this place. And so this idea of redemption is also, it's a redemption of that relationship which we were built for, but also of the role we're supposed to have. We're not supposed to manage ourselves. Well, I'm going to do me and I'm just going to, I am the way I am and I'm just going to do me and my own good self. It's no, we are actually here to, to make everything around us 
the best version of itself. Right. That's our role. And Christianity lived out well redeems that. We stop being all about, I'm just going to be my best me, whatever the rest of you are. It's, I'm going to, I'm going to reflect who I am and I'm going to use who I am to better everything around me Right. in that role, because that's what I was created to do. Yeah. Uh, the other, the other word uh, I wanted to talk about, which is um, often used, is the idea of grace and how mm. we view grace. And I always think of the song "Amazing Grace." Yeah, you know how you know "Amazing Grace," how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Yeah, and and I think oftentimes the the church or we within the church find love that line saved yeah. a wretch like me. Yeah. But I actually think the next line has more meaning. I, you know, I once was lost, but now I'm found, right? So I, my purpose, yeah. I was blind, but now I see. A blind person, they still have worth, but they're yeah. not able maybe to navigate things the way that they could when they can see where they're going, right? Yeah. Like maybe blindness is not the best, but like when, when the room is dark, you yeah. can still get around. You can still be useful. You still have all the skills that you had before. Sure. But when the Absolutely. light is on... All of a sudden, that room is lit up, and you are able to make more with what you have around you than you yep. ever could before. Yep. And so grace, it's not pity. It's not yeah. that God took pity on us. It's that God longed for us yep. and, and brought us in towards a, a closer, out of a broken situation yeah. and into a a lit up and purposeful place within, yep. within who he is. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's great. It's great. I'm glad we've gone over those words. I'm certain they will come up a hundred more times in these conversations right. because they are the cornerstone of sort of how the church talks about stuff. Um, but they've, they've gotten distorted. And I would say right now right. there is um, unfortunately so well, we're living in a time where just fear and anxiety are heightened. Um, but but there is not just now, but there's sort of a historical precedence of those those words and the language. And again, we are not saying that pastors or evangelists are guilty of what we're about to talk about. We're saying that the way that the message has been received, especially for people who maybe weren't raised in a loving church environment, right? They, right. Either they were in a... In a unhealthy environment, or they were one click outside of it and just watching it, that the way the message has been received has become very fear-driven and fear-oriented, that the motivations for salvation and needing a savior and being redeemed and the role of grace has been co-opted, not as an invitation, but as, um, but as a mandated rescue Right. Right. So, do you want to? No, go ahead. You, Jump into the. So, well, let me, let me start with this. So, I was a pastor many years ago, many many years ago. <laughs> Keeps getting further away, but um, we. One of the big pieces in any sermon is the last five, twenty-five, however many minutes it ends depends up being. On right? your, depends yeah, on your church. Depends yeah. on your church, but is the altar call moment. Right. And that's yeah. that moment where they open it up and say, um, we want to get a response out of people during yep. this time. And um, 
and we'll acknowledge this is lar- more prevalent in the evangelical yeah. Pentecostal churches than it is, say, in some of the more liturgical. Yeah. Not that there aren't, you know, calls to worship or calls for response, but sort of the way we're talking about this more often is... Well, seen, it's our experience of, yeah. of what church has been like. So but maybe just to acknowledge our yeah, listeners yeah. that if you grew up, you know, Presbyterian, this may not have been as much of a right. piece of your services as yeah. it is for some. And I used to always think of, I mean, I even got a little negative even when I was a pastor and thought, well, it's just manipulation to mm-hmm. kind of, uh, how do we get people to to respond and whatnot? I actually, I had my, the first pastor I ever worked for um, told me, he was like, no, no, this is not a, this is not just a moment for you to figure out if, um, you know, to, to manipulate people. Yeah. It's to find out if, if your message kind of got across. It's a okay. way, and it's also a way to give people action upon what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't look at it from that negative point of view and you look at it, um, from a positive point of view of like pastors are just doing this because they need they're they're looking to to say did this resonate did yeah. i meet the needs and they're of inviting my participation and they're inviting you yeah. into doing it it gives it a better light right yeah. so first of all uh, i just want to put that out there i don't think again echoing what you were saying i don't think pastors are trying to be manipulative manipulative however Not most of them yeah um we're all people <laughs> There is a problem when some of us feel that it puts us in a position of instability, right? And what happens is a lot of times using words like, uh, are you redeemed? Are you, you know, come to the altar, get, you you know, you're broken, come and let God bring, restore you. And some of these things, it makes people feel like they had no value and the only way for them to get value out of their life and to see purpose in their life is to do it at the at the altar yep and i don't believe that that was the intention of that that is the intention of the bible is to say that you are worthless and i know this is what we're we're echoing a little bit what we've been saying before but but this idea that coming coming to an altar does not fix you of your problems Um, it it can start a process to to yep. get grow closer, but it, it does not fix you of something right. else. And so that that manipulation, whether intentional or not, yeah. is is a dangerous place. And I think it has hurt a lot of people that have come into the church over time. Yeah, because or they come through the church more likely, right? Yeah. They come in, they hear, you need to do this, you need to do this, they raise their hand, they go home, they realize that while they maybe feel a new hope that they're not sure yet. And then they go back to church the next week or two weeks later. And then they hear a similar message. If you're not sure you better, you, maybe you're not, if you, if you have any doubt, maybe you're not. And then, and then they feel compelled to go. And then they get sort of stuck in that loop cycle of, well, I don't, I don't feel secure about this. I, it's a new concept to me. I'm, I'm maybe I'm not feeling very strong. For many people, they're not seeking out to develop a faith in when they're feeling at, at the sort of the peak of their emotions, right? Like right. you, you begin to seek out things like faith or counseling or new relationships when when you recognize that. I'm not actually living my fullest life in this moment, right? So there's a measure of uncertainty connected to this, right? And so when the message becomes, if you're at all uncertain, 
I'm, I'm telling you the, the Bible says you're crap and you better, you better right. get up to this altar. You better, you know, smash the light button. You better do what it, whatever the, the call to action is to make sure that you're good. And then they go home and they go, okay, well, I was sure I was good, but now it's Thursday. And, and I did all these things. And, these and life has still days. been really hard. And yeah. my, you know, my spouse drives me crazy or my best friend and I got in a fight or I was disrespectful to, you know, my boss or my parent or whoever it is. Wow. Life is not magically easy again. I don't feel sure if I'm okay. And either that becomes exhausting and people are just like, this, this isn't for me. Right. Or they, what happened to you and I in high school? Right. And do you want to... Well, yeah. And I I did... I mean, and this is partly because just of my personality. I'm well, maybe not... Maybe it's more a, happened to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and I just want to say, you know... The achieving but, personal... But I do pleaser. remember feeling this immense sense of guilt during mm. altar calls of yeah. like, I can't fix myself unless I do X, Y, and Z yeah. from week to week to week. And then yep. I would go home and I would... Guilt would, would drive my actions as opposed yep. to relationship driving my actions. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know, I mean, there were people that walked into church and, and I want you to tell your story, but like, um, there, there were people that walked into church and I, I swear, I mean, we even serve in church right now and the same people will, will raise their hand every, from week to week to week yeah. because they're just not sure about their faith. And you'll hear yeah. even pastors, again, I don't know that they're intentionally doing this in the wrong way, but no, sometimes you'll hear where like, well, if you aren't sure, just go ahead and raise your hand. If you're not sure, you know, yeah. which is a really dangerous because it sows seeds of doubt, right? Yeah. And that's not the purpose of behind uh, taking an action towards no. Jesus. And what they're doing is they're they're inviting like they like really this is this is the best hope you have. I really want you to join in on this journey of hope with us. And so it is. It, there's that idea of like please don't don't miss an opportunity to do something that we absolutely not only believe is is good and right but but we know is i mean we only believe what we believe because we see that this is how we are meant to be this right. this god is real and he really does love you and really does want to move you towards new life and and health and wholeness right and so the it is like come on come do this this is amazing right um but when we do that out of a place of fear when it's you're on your way to hell and you better make sure and you're about to, you know, you're, you're, you're burning right now. Do you feel how hot your seat is? Right. Like, and, and so that was the language to, to distinguish the difference between somebody saying, Hey, Art, just, just consider this. Like self-evaluate, self-evaluation. Yeah. Self-evaluation is not manipulation. And we don't, we want to be clear yeah. that there, that that is actually a great thing for a leader to say, whether that's a pastor or another type of leader, it, search your heart, really consider your motivations. This might be the moment for you to make a different decision because you do reach a decision moment. So, so self-evaluation, awesome. What I was raised under was, and in fact, we, we were having a discussion the other night with um, some friends of ours, like a married couple, um, and she and I were raised in very similar traditions and were very similar personalities, wired very, very similarly. Um, and we both of us were sort of laughing at how we have all through high school and even into maybe a few of our young first year or two of college, 
Anytime there was an altar call, our hand was in the air or we were at the front. And it was just, there was this drive of, you know, the, the, usually it was an evangelist, not necessarily our, our pastor who knew us and loved us, but it would be a special speaker or somebody. And they would say, if you've had a negative thought, if you've, you know, if you're guilty of one sin, you're guilty of all of the sins. And so that if you've had any sin in your life this week, you're now in a tenuous place with God and you better get back to the altar. And so they would articulate and she and I, I mean, we grew up in different States and there's eight years between us. So, you know, almost different cultures, right? Like I'm an Xer and she's a millennial. And, um, but we had the same experience, this idea of we were maturing, growing Christians, both of us in high school and early college in leadership positions within our youth groups or our churches. Right. So we had great leaders and mentors. And yet there was this constant language of if there's anything in your life that isn't in perfect step with these actions, and they would give a list, you're now out of God's favor and you're in tenuous position on whether or not you're in heaven or hell. Yeah. And you better come to the altar. And so it it was so that fear, that fear of like, oh, I'm accepted by grace. I can't I can't do anything to earn salvation except for what I do can lose me salvation. And so now I'm afraid all the time. I'm afraid all the time. And it's so counter to who Jesus was, right? Like he never manipulated based off of fear. He never approached it based off of, uh, even when you talk about prophecy, and I don't want to get into end times discussion, but like any of those things, which we also as the church uses as a sense of fear, right? Like it could happen at any moment, and this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this bad thing's going to happen, don't want to be here when that happens type of thing. Yeah. It. It is oftentimes, I look at, I looked at the example that Jesus was and he never did that. He never said, turn or burn, right? He always said, he sat down next to the person, had community and communion with them, whether that was, you know, not not our traditional version of communion, but like sat with them and said, let's, let's break bread together. Let's talk about your situation. Let's see where you're at. Now come with me. Come alongside me. Come walk with me. That is what this is all about. Not this decisive moment in time where if you don't do it or don't continue to do it, then you will go somewhere else. Yep. But but there is an idea of, um, and you had written this down, and so I'm I'm just going to kind of walk us right into that, is that... It's a, the best parallel to our faith is it just described in the Bible, but also is a perfect example, and that's marriage, yeah. right? Like the Bible uses marriage to to parallel relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. calling us his bride and all of those things. Yep. So, so walk through kind of some of the points you had written down relating to why marriage is the best example of what being a Christian is. Sure. So um, it it starts with, you know, when there's, the, it starts with, you don't have any idea, right? Like you and I met in August um, of a year in the distant past. In July, neither of us knew anything about each other. We had no idea. We were living in different states. We had no concept that the other person existed yeah. or how that person could influence our life trajectory. In August, we 
at meet, man, I use that term even somewhat loosely then, right? We ended up in the same pot of people at our college. And so we were sort of near each other. So suddenly we're aware of each other's presence. And then by September, we're interacting with each other. And those interactions are awfully positive. We're really, we're enjoying those interactions and we're learning, but we still, we certainly didn't have any influence on each other. And then by October, um, we were pretty like, we were moving into the dating phase, right? Like there was this. I thought it was happening in September, but that was just you know. <laughs> it's really up. It's really up for debate. We'll have to, you know, share that story another day. But somewhere we went from, in one month, right. having no awareness of who we are, and then there was this progression of like getting to know each other a little better, a little better, into when there was actually sort of a consistent relationship. There we were we were doing things together on a consistent basis. We were sharing pieces of our history together and we continued to do that until a year later when we got engaged. And then a year after that. And so then now we were committed to each other, right? In, in our engagement, we began to make decisions together. Like, well, what is next year going to look like? Where do we want to live? What those things before that we weren't influencing each other's decisions very much. We were just sort of a, in constant conversation. Right. Then we were influencing each other's decisions. Then when we got married the following year, we we didn't just influence each other's decisions. We were now making each other's decisions. And not because we're codependent, but because our lives are now entangled. When I make a decision, when I choose to buy those really cute boots, 60% off on Nordstrom, which I did, I'm not just spending my money, I'm spending your money. So I made a decision for your access to that resource, right? Right. And vice versa. When you take a job, it impacts where where I get to live or where, you know. And so in marriage, because we had established trust and relationship and shared ideas, and then in engagement, we had sort of begun to fuse those. And now we've been married almost 22 years. Um, Next month will be 22 years. We have made all kinds of decisions together, right? And we are committed to one another. And and I, you don't need to make those vows week after no! week after week after week. And no, you know, and there are times but where we do I'm evaluate our relationship, you. right? Like we Absolutely. have this. Absolutely, we have what we call this state of the union um, yeah. discussion a once play a year. On words. But we also do do have discussions where, like the other night, we were sitting upstairs and. We're like, hey, I feel this way. I'm yeah. upset about this. Yeah. Let's let's deal with this. Yeah. Right. And that is a healthy way to approach that relationship. Yeah. To but not to be like, am I am are we still married? Like I didn't sit there and go, are we still married? Because I don't know that we're still married. Yeah. You know? Oh if dang, gotten, I really screwed up. If it's gotten to that point, yeah. then there's something way bigger going on. Right. Yep. And so these I mean, I think there there's a great purpose in in weekly check-ins with your spouse, but also with God in yeah. terms of going to church and being challenged. It'd be and like being a date asked. night. Church yeah. should be a date night. Yeah. But that's not where the relationship happens. Exactly. And that's not where security comes from. And, and the, you know, sort of this fear-based message of, of salvation is like saying, well, Shauna, did you make a decision this week that, that maybe frustrated Corey. The answer is yes, y'all. Whatever week you're listening to this, 100% sometime in the week where you're listening 
I did something that annoyed him, bothered him, or was self-centered every week. We are still married. We still love each other. We are still committed to each other. And we have not yet in almost 22 years had to actually do a vow renewal. Now I think there's a place for that. There are times where relationships break down far enough that you do need to come back and do a ceremony of no, really, I'm choosing you above all others. And so that can happen in your Christian faith too. You can get to a place right. where you're like, wow, I haven't made any decisions in tandem with God. I'm not listening to him. I'm not like, oh, I, like I'm ignoring him. I need to go back and have a moment. But that moment is baptism. It's not just some random, well, I don't call Corey and go, hey, are we still married? It's Thursday. I'm just making sure. And that moment is not a moment to have... God come back and give you redemption. <laughs> that right. moment is a moment to say, no, no, no. I am reevaluating where I'm at and coming yeah. back to my commitment to you. Yep. Not to get your grace poured over me type yep. of idea, which is sometimes I think yep. the way that people view it. Well, I feel really broken today. I need more grace poured over me or whatever yeah. it is. I'm really bad. So I need more of this thing yep. to fix me type yep. of thing. But that's not what it is. It is, you know, just like in our relationship, we are coming back. You might need to come to a place where you go, I need to come back and and change what yeah. I'm doing, but that's yeah. a different, that's a very different or the of habits of our marriage. So in, in, I'm going to use a real life example in the lockdown of COVID, um, we are all in this house all the time. We found about two weeks in that we had sort of stopped saying good morning to each other and uh, giving a, you know, a good morning kiss or a welcome back from work kind of thing, which was a very normal pattern. And, you know, a couple weeks in we realized, oh, like we sort of wave at each other but because we're together, we didn't, we weren't doing something that's, that signified a togetherness. Right. And so we sort of were just like, oh, we, we actually need to bring that back. We need to make sure this is part of the rhythms of our, our marriage wasn't in jeopardy. Our relationship wasn't even in, we both felt very content with our relationship. It was just this one little habit had broke down. And that's the same thing that happens in a faith journey, right? That you have these you know, patterns get disrupted and then you have to bring in new patterns. You have to have a pattern of fasting or a new time of daily prayer or these things, but those are disciplines of the Christian life. That's right. not a becoming resaved in that sort of other yeah. version of it, right? Like I don't get to remarry you all the time because we need to tweak our habits. Um, and yeah. so we really want to break down that fear. Just take from this that Neither of us in a healthy marriage live in daily fear of our marriage ceasing to exist because of a single thing. Yeah. We just choose to be near each other every day. Yeah. So as we wrap up this this two-part piece, if you will, on on brokenness or the perception yeah. of brokenness and the in the way that we talk about brokenness with, within the church, but also in our own lives, I want to kind of bring back to how does um, how should we view each other? Mm. How should how does God view us um, in terms of the way our faith should be, uh, and the way that we should be viewing each other? Like, again, if you're not a Christian, you may not ab abide by this, yeah. but I do believe that these are these are values, the, the ways that we should view other people, yep. whether you're in the church or outside of the church. Yep. So, um, but I think the Bible talks about uses specific words yeah. that 
let's explore real quick. And yeah. so, um, so how does the Bible talk about us? Well, we've already mentioned that it uses wedding language, right? That we are yeah. considered the bride, that we are, um, you know, the, the parable of the 10 virgins, right? When you're waiting for the bridegroom. So there is language, right. clear language there that, that we should view that relationship right. as you view an engagement or a marriage. Um, the other word that is used, and I think these two are, they're not tied on earth, but the idea of getting a new last name in sort of the classic sense, and not all of us change our names when we get married, but sort of historically, that was a part of it, right? The same as with adopted, hmm. that, that the idea is that you weren't a family and now you're a family. We weren't a family in that July, but two years later we were. A family and what and I same love, thing with adopted and what I love about the idea of family both the marriage and the adoption thing is that um, in both cases it's not just one choice one direction right right both sides are choosing and yep. longing yep. for the other yep right and so like God longs after you in the same way that you long yep. after him and I think that's that's kind of a beautiful way of viewing that yeah. relationship. And it does, and both of those have a ceremony attached to them, right? And again, biblically, that ceremony is baptism. And so there is a marker of this is what I choose to do going forward. Yeah. Um, and so in the same way, uh, the way of adoption um, and family creation, the Bible uses the word heirs to give us that status of like you're not, you're not just like getting to kind of be family. We're not calling you one of our kids because you get to like live in our house. You're, you're, you are in this family. Yeah. And, and an heir also give, there's a longevity there, right? Yeah. An heir isn't just somebody who holds the family name right now. There's the, the idea of heirship is that there is, well, in the U S or Western world, there's a will, there's a document drawn up in advance, sometimes long in advance, 20 years in advance, that guarantees their their status as family long into the future upon the death of whoever. And, and as an heir, you have the responsibility to pass along as well. Yeah, right? exa exactly. And so it's this long-term um, thing. And so, I mean, the one of the places you you have this written down, and I love this because one of the phrases that gets used to justify the idea of us having not worth and being given worth is you were bought with a price. And it's used so often solely to mean in Jesus's direction, like his price was enormous. And it was, I don't minimize that. But that concept, um, we have uh, several people in our world who have actually adopted children yep. that there is a cost to that. Or we, we have some friends who've had to go through IVF or those kinds of things. So even if they've given birth to natural children, there's an enormous cost involved in, in that child entering into that family. And that's not something you dismiss lightly. You don't go through that process, have the child come into your home and then they act like little goobers and they go, eh, I'm a, this one's defective. Can I return it? Like that's you can't. You no, yeah, yeah, you, you can't. In fact, please don't. That's not okay. Um but that that when I hear that you were bought with a price, to me, that increases the value of what Christ did because it wasn't just he was willing to sacrifice a lot. It was he was willing to sacrifice a lot 
with this value in mind, with this relationship in mind. It isn't I'm purchasing an invaluable thing, thing and then assigning it a value. Right. It it's, is more than I, that. I purchased this, but that adoption, that investment, that's ongoing. That person remains family forever. Yeah. And um and so that that to me is a is a massive difference, but it also incre increases the rate, right? There is an idea that um you and I have both been in big services where they're like, okay, but and you know, they'll give some sort of call where effectively, especially in youth group things, you know, 70% of the kids have their hands in the air, right? Well, what does that what does that mean? What's measurable on the end of that? What has that done? Maybe it's done something profound for those students, but maybe it hasn't. You don't see very many mass wedding services, right? right. Those are personal things. And, and that is the weight that I want to leave us with. Don't be driven to make a decision out of fear. Be driven to take a step, close that proximity, get yeah. meet this, what we're talking about. Or if you know of him, you know, be willing to spend some time figuring out the characteristics as you and I did when we were dating and then maybe test, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see about living this out. I'm going to see how this works, getting, maybe being more consistent, reading the Bible regularly, or even starting to look for a church. And then you reach the point where like, no, this, this is my life now. And that's, that's the commitment. And it isn't unstable and it isn't fear driven. It's no, no. This is something I'm choosing to participate in because I've been invited into something permanent and ongoing that will change the trajectory of my life as my being married to you has for mine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, yeah. If you have more that you would like to add to it, uh, please check us out on Facebook at Bread and Cup Podcast. And same on Instagram same on at Instagram. bread and cup podcast. You can also find us on bread and cup podcast.com. There's a blog there. You can drop comments That's right. or, or suggest there. questions for future episodes. Absolutely. Uh, next week we'll be talking about the concept of community. Um, mm -hmm. We are in the midst of uh, right now when we're recording this, we're in the midst of the COVID crisis, yeah. uh, which we'll probably talk about over time for a long time. Cause we've yeah. learned a lot about ourselves. And so yep. next week we'll talk about community. How is it important? Why, why do we think that, or what does real community look like? Yeah. So something beyond, um, a group of friends. Exactly. Yep. All right. Thank you. Thanks. To join the conversation, like, and subscribe, then find us on Instagram at bread and cup podcast. You can also find us at our website and other social platforms linked in the show notes. Mm -hmm.